the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. It's a gospel empty pulpit. And there are little churches throughout, I'm sure, Queens and the other boroughs and the Bronx and even in Manhattan that are bringing the word, but they don't have glorious, wonderful things. But we have to remember this. God doesn't see as men see. God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at appearance. And what he looks for is faithfulness. And that's what separates the dying church from the living church. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today in the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues with the Future Grace series, an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to Revelation chapter 3. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. It's not likely, uh, Robert Thomas writes in his excellent commentary on Revelation, that it's very unlikely that this was a, uh, uh, a, a financially destitute church. Smyrna was too uh, prosperous a city for that. Instead, it speaks to a church that may have been raided People may have broken into it and people may have carried stuff off. Their goods may have been pillaged by either a nearby Jewish synagogue, hence the synagogue of Satan, a synagogue that's really not a synagogue at all, or hostile Gentile mobs. But something had contributed to their poverty. And the type of poverty that is depicted here by the original language is an abject poverty devoid of financial resources. And so this church, this little church in Smyrna, was poor in the eyes of some, but rich in the eyes of God, because this was a living church. And you have to listen to what he says to them. You you can feel the warmth. It's entirely different than Laodicea, entirely different than Sardis. Look what he says in verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer, because if you're faithful, you will suffer persecution. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. 
Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What does it say in James? Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. The Lord will give him the crown of life to those who love him and he loves. And he says in verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So these people were facing death. They, 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 they don't have any financial resources. They're in abject poverty. They're poor. They probably don't have a ton of influence. And he's saying, hang in and hang on. And he reminds them, the one who conquers, the one who overcomes, the one who remains faithful will not be hurt by the second death. Now, what the second death here is one of those shiny objects that we've talked about before. Don't let it distract you from the point of the passage. We will get into the second death much deeper into Revelation. But that's the final resurrection, the great white throne where people are cast into conscious, unending punishment into the fires of hell for all time. Those who hear, those who obey, those who hang in and hang on remain faithful. True believers, in other words, will not face that. And so he's, he's comforting them in light of the difficult days they're suffering, in light of the difficult days ahead, and in light of their faithfulness. The apologist, uh, apologetics guy, Gregory Kukul, Gregory Kukul says, God doesn't call us to be liked, but to be faithful to follow him. When we want to be liked, we make compromise. We water down the message. We take out the things that might offend those around us. But if we are faithful, then he will be faithful because he cannot and will not deny himself. And he will provide for us the strength we need to face any and every trial and to see us through to our heavenly home. And that's what he's saying here to Smyrna, to little Smyrna. Revelation 3, 7 through uh, 13 is our next church, another living church, and that is the church of Philadelphia. And here's what he says to this living, vibrant, alive church. This is his assessment of them. This is his spiritual health inspection. We've used all these metaphors, spiritual building inspection over the last two weeks. And here's what he says. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. What we have here are the words of a sovereign savior that no one can snatch you out of his hand. And when he puts you into his kingdom, no one can pull you out. He speaks to those who are eternally secure What does he say? Verse eight, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Now notice his comments here. This would seem to be a little church, an under-resourced church, a church with little power, maybe little prestige. Definitely not Ephesus, big old Ephesus, the church among churches with the dream team of pastors. Not Sardis with a reputation, but a church of little power. But you understand that God doesn't expect you to do miracles, that's his job. God doesn't evaluate you for your lack of equipment or blame you or fail you for your lack of resources, a factor beyond your control. 
God, you know, we abide in Christ, we obey his word, and we let him do the heavy lifting. And here, this little church with little power is praised for being faithful, for not compromising, for enduring hardship for his name. And so, they get a passing grade. They get praise because God calls his people to be faithful and to leave the rest for him. And that's what they do. Verse nine. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Think about that. They too are suffering persecution. It wasn't uncommon in those days for Jewish communities to persecute Christians. It wasn't uncommon for Gentile communities to persecute Christians. But what we see here is that this church was not conformed to the world around it. It was transforming the world around it through its witness, through its faithfulness, through its fidelity to the word of God and the God of that word, Jesus Christ. And so God offers them sort of a double reward here. We'll see this play out. First here, he's saying, I'm going to make it so that these tormentors know that I love you. I'm going to exalt you before them. I'm going to lift you up before them. And he also says this, and this is where we start getting into uh, the so-called end times. You know, Revelation is divided into three movements, if it were uh, a musical work. The first movement is the things you have seen that John is to write down. The second movement is the things that are, which is John is recording here in chapters two and three, and chapters four through 22, the things that will be. And God makes this comment to the church at Philadelphia, and it can be a, a shiny object, but he says to them, and I don't want it to distract you, I want you to follow the flow of this discourse, but he seems to indicate that this church either this church personally or churches like it, they're gonna suffer persecution in this world, but they will not be on this planet to see his wrath visited down upon an unbelieving world. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, because you have persevered, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon, hold fast to what you have, so that no one will seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, that's later in the future here in the book of Revelation, which comes down from my, from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. Here is a small church, a seemingly non-powerful, non-influential church being promised a reward that indicates this little church is punching above its weight class, so to speak. And we also see a, a, a hint or a glimpse of things to come in the succeeding chapters of Revelation. But what we have here in chapters two and three, and particularly here comparing Sardis to Smyrna and to Philadelphia is a tale of two kinds of churches. One has a reputation for being alive and is dead. 
spiritually dead. It's an unchurch. Because what is a church? A church isn't a building, right? It's believers gathered together in community. And this church looks like a non-church. There are some there. But what we have here is a tale of two kinds of churches, living and dead. One has a reputation for being alive, and two don't have much of a reputation of the outside world, but in the sight of God, they are beautiful, they are glorious, because they are faithful. They may not be much to look at with the naked eye. If you go to New York City today and look at Riverside Church, it is the tallest non-commercial building. Its steeple reaches way up. It has a glorious interior pipe organ. It's got all the bells and whistles. All the rich and the powerful go there and listen to non-messages from non-pastors. It's a, it's, a, it's a gospel empty pulpit. And there are little churches throughout, I'm sure, Queens and the other boroughs and the Bronx and even in Manhattan that are bringing the word, but they don't have glorious, wonderful things. But we have to remember this. God doesn't see as men see. God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at appearance. And what he looks for is faithfulness. And that's what separates the dying church from the living church. And what we see here, if there's a message here, um, it's this, is that for churches, there is no room for, for compromise, for negotiation with the world. There is no room for accommodation. You're playing offense if you're a living, breathing, faithful, Christ-loving, Christ-following church who listens to the one that you love. You play offense for the kingdom of God. And you suffer the consequences. You stand on the word of God and you endure hardship, persecution, trial. You may not be perfect. None of these seven churches are perfect because they're filled with imperfect people. But two of the seven were faithful to the extent that they get a passing grade from the Almighty. What does this have to do with you and me? Well, how would you apply this to your life? Obviously, as a church family, we want to stick to the book, and that's what we've tried to do, even through COVID. Try to be faithful to God's word, faithful to God's call. Many of these churches in chapters two and three are going to face unpleasant surprises based on the diagnoses they receive. We don't want to receive that kind of surprise. And it really starts with the individual Christian in their individual seats in their individual ministries, in their individual contexts and lives. And so what I would say by way of application is you've looked at and compared and contrasted this dead church to these two living churches. And as we think about our role in this community as a Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church, we need to look in our own hearts where we are today. No matter what age or demographic group or ethnic group or wherever we are, you know, we're all at different stages of life, different stages of ministry. And we need to ask ourselves, where do I fit in in terms of these seven churches? And I would just say, maybe take the stages of dying that I just gave you a little bit ago and ask yourself, is this me? Is it possible like Ephesus, you're in denial? that you no longer do the things you used to do with the zeal you used to do them, but now you're coasting 
in your faith. You know, one of the uh, signs of old age is when your youngest daughter turns 25. Which is happening right now. But you know what? My life's not over. I'm in a different life stage. And I am to press on as you are to press on to the upward call of Christ to what lies ahead. I physically can't do the things I could do 20 years ago, but there are other things I can do. It's the same with you. Some of you are young and single. Some of you are young and married. Some of you are not so young. But you have a a role to play in Christ's kingdom. Don't kid yourself to think that it's all over, that your best years are behind you. Your best years, for every one of us in this room, are ahead of us. So do not be in denial. Look at your heart and say, am I committed to Christ's cause or am I kidding myself? Look at Pergamum. Ask yourself, if somebody were to confront me with where I'm thinking and what I'm doing, am I, would I be shocked? Have I, why do I go to church? If somebody said to me, where are you? I, haven't, I, don't, I don't see you much. I don't see you serving. I don't, you, only, you only come in twice or once a month or something like that. And you would say, well, I still believe and I still suffer for God in my own way. But are you like Pergamum, drifting? And would you be shocked to hear Christ's assessment of where you are spiritually and your faithfulness? And like Thyatira, are you bargaining? Are you trying to negotiate a diagnosis? Are you trying to uh, look the other way spiritually at your job, in your family? Are you trying to cut your own deal with the culture? Because there's no room for that in our lives. We're called, God has raised us up for such a time as this, to be faithful, to listen to him. Blessed is the one that reads aloud and hears and keeps the words of this book of prophecy because the time is near. The time is near and getting nearer every day. Maybe you're like Laodicea. You're kind of going through a spiritual depression. You're lethargic. Snap out of it. You know, Pastor Paul has our counseling ministry. There are fellowship groups, there are people that can talk to you, pray with you, small groups, snap out of it. Get out of that spiritual bed. Shake off the lethargy. And some of you, some of you may be outwardly Christians, but inwardly you're spiritual dead. You're in the acceptance mode. I'm okay, you're okay. But Is that where you want to be? Because God is going to return someday. He's going to come like a thief in the night. Jesus is going to return, or he's going to call you to stand before him at the end of your life. And you don't want an unpleasant surprise. Churches are like people, because churches are made up of people. And all of us, in some ways, or maybe even combinations of all seven churches at times, But here's the thing, I want you to understand why you're here and why we're here. Because difficult and yes, glorious days are ahead for this church if we remain faithful to the calling with which we've been called. It doesn't matter what resources we have or don't have. God will provide what God wants us to provide. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are or how able you are or whether you're a theologian 
or our, our Bible person, if you love Christ and will listen to him, he will do great things with you and through you. But I want to go back to what Camillo read, and I want to close with a seemingly unrelated passage here in our text. And that's Matthew seven twenty-one to 27. Because when I look at the first four chapters of uh, Revelation, it reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter one is the heart attitude that John has toward Jesus, kind of like the Beatitudes, you know. Chapters two and three, you've heard it said, but I say to you, true religion versus dead religion. Chapter four is right worship, not doing your righteousness before men to be seen by them, but to do your righteousness, worship God the way he wants to worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And chapter seven in Matthew sort of reminds me of some of the things that we've seen in these chapters two and three. And so let me just read for you the end of Matthew chapter seven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven except the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many works, mighty works in your name? Don't we have a reputation? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall, it did not succumb because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall, because it was not founded on the rock. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. There are only two kinds of people in this world, spiritually alive and spiritually perishing. There are only two kinds of churches in this world, the living church and the dying church. And we want to be a living church, changing this world one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ, bringing many sons and daughters to glory without compromise for the glory of God, for the good of others in our own growth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look at these seven churches, Lord, in and, and, and their own way, seven cautionary and encouraging tales. Lord, we look at the contrast between the living and the dead church, Father. And we look at your grace as you call them time and time again, the way that you call human beings to, to embrace you, not to run from you, but to run to you. And we thank you for the mercies that you show, Lord. We look at Ephesus, Father, and we saw that she bounced back because she shows up in church history at the Council of Ephesus almost 300 years later. We thank you that you are a gracious, merciful, grace-giving God who bids us 
to receive the gift that you offer and be employed in your kingdom work. Father, help us as Hillside Church and help each believer here to be found faithful at your return. In the meantime, Father, help us to be about your work, doing what you've called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.